from the dead, Father, so that we could live eternally with you. As we look at that today, Father, I pray that your people will receive revelation knowledge and not one person will walk out of here the same way that they came in. May we all examine this particular act that he did on our behalf the proper way. And may we all respond the proper way. And we'll give you all the glory for all the good that will come out of this service. In Jesus' name, amen and so be it. Would you all find someone today and just be kind to them, love on them, give them a hug. Whatever it is that you're led to do, speak life into them. Shake their hand. Then after you do that, you can be seated. I think I want to make the devil extremely upset early in the service. If God's been good to anybody in here, can you just say Jesus one good time? I want to thank you all because it's raining like for real out there. I mean, it's raining. I looked out my window and I said, man, whoever shows up at this service loves Jesus. Because we have options today. How I many you know, we can stay in the bed, grab our iPad and just watch service online, watch somebody else's service. You all said, listen, I go to work when it's raining. Come on, I go to the gym. Come on, I do everything else I do when it's raining. So I'm going to church. I'm not getting ready to let rain stop me from getting to the house of God. And I believe God's going to bless you today as a result of that. We're going to conclude our three-week series on three crosses on the hill. And of course, we've been asked, answering two questions. Uh, why were there only three crosses on that crucifixion day? Doesn't really matter. Whatever Hollywood depiction you've seen is typically only one cross, and that cross is Jesus. But there were clearly three on that crucifixion day. And then why these particular three? You've got Jesus in the middle, and you've got two thieves being crucified for the crimes that they've done. And I personally believe that is symbolic, and that imagery is there to show that humanity, all of humanity will have to make a decision about that man in the middle. All of humanity will fall on one side or the other. All humanity will, one side will die in their sins. How many know the other side will be saved from their sins? And I don't know about you, I'm glad I'm on the side that's being saved and that is saved from my sins. And so that's what we've been looking at. Let's read our foundation text, Luke chapter 23, beginning at verse 32. The Passion Translation reads it this way, all the way down to verse 43. Two criminals were led away with Jesus. And notice what the text says here. And all three were to be executed together. When they came to the place that is known as the Skull or Golgotha or Calvary's Hill, the guards crucified Jesus, nailing him on the center cross between the two criminals. Notice how descriptive that is. How many of you know God wastes nothing? So it's in there for a reason, and that's what we're learning and we'll conclude with on today. While they were nailing Jesus to the cross, he prayed over and over again, Father, forgive them, 
for they don't know what they're doing. Every time they're beating him, every time they're, they're running a nail through his feet, he's saying, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. How I many you know most of us would not be praying for people that are harming us? It says, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. The soldiers, after they crucified him, gambled over his clothing. A great crowd gathered to watch what was happening. The religious leaders sneered at Jesus and mocked him, saying, Look at this man. What kind of chosen Messiah is this? He pretended to save others, but he can't even save himself. The soldiers joined in the mockery by offering Jesus a drink of vinegar. Over Jesus' head on the cross was written an inscription in Greek, Latin, and Aramaic, This man is the king of all the Jews. And all the Jews. This man is the king of all of the Jews. And they laughed and they scorned him. And they laughed and scoffed at him, saying, Hey, if you're the king of the Jews, then why don't you save yourself? One of the criminals hanging on the cross next to Jesus kept ridiculing him, saying, What kind of Messiah are you? Save yourself and save us from this death. Verse 40, the criminal hanging on the other cross rebuked the man, saying, Don't you fear God. You're about to die. Notice he called Jesus God. We deserve to be condemned, for we're just being repaid for what we've done. But this man, he's done nothing wrong. Then he said, I beg of you, my Lord Jesus, show me grace and take me with you into your everlasting kingdom. Jesus responded, I promise you, this very day you will enter paradise with me. This very day you will enter paradise with me. So may the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word for the edification, comfort of our souls. Were you edified today? Y'all supposed to say, yes, yes, sir, depending on what background you come from. So we already looked at the dying sinner. We've already looked at the dying saint. Today, let's look at the dying Savior. And let's look back at verse 43 in the Passion Translation again. And there's some revelation that we'll get out of these words that Jesus said. He said here, Jesus responded, I promise you, he's given him a guarantee that this very day, not tomorrow, but this very day, you will enter paradise with me. And so we're going to look at three areas of what Jesus uh, went through on that day. Letter A, we'll look at his grief. If you're following along today, Version Bible app, just go to the event section, click on Linked Up Church. If you don't have that app, just download that app. The outline is right there. You can add your notes to the outline. You can also fill in the blank. So let's look at his grief. Let us remember that even though Jesus was God, as he hung on that cross, he was experiencing the same anguish and torments that the two thieves were experiencing. The agony was unimaginable, and the suffering Jesus endured was very weird, real. I mean, a lot of times we watch that and we think it's just a movie on television. But he actually went through that, and I don't believe Hollywood really did it any justice. His death was brutal 
and his death was horrific. It was far worse than the mind could comprehend. I want to look at a few passages today that really speak about the terrible nature of the death that Jesus died. If you would, turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 52, and we're going to read verse 14 out of the Passion Translation. Isaiah 52, 14, the Passion Translation reads this way. Just as many were appalled at the sight of him, for so marred was his appearance like an object of horror. So if you think about your worst horror movie, how I many know it can't compare to what Jesus looked like on that day? The rest of this verse goes on to say, he no longer looked like a man. Can you imagine taking a beating so bad that you no longer look like a human being? I don't even know if our minds can comprehend how bad someone has to be beaten to no longer resemble a human being. But he did that for you, and he did that for me. Go with me to Isaiah chapter 50, just two books over, and let's read verse 6 out of the New King James Version. Isaiah chapter 50, verse 6, New King James Version. And I love this verse right here. Because how many of y'all know he, they couldn't have done anything to him unless he allowed them? And he was doing that because he was able to look beyond what he was going through because of the deep love that he had for you and for me. Notice what this verse says here in Isaiah 50, verse 6. He said, I gave my back to those who struck me. Can you imagine that that's a cat of nine tails, and every time they beat him, is snatching the meat out of his back, and he's just turning another side of his back and saying, take a little bit more out of my back. He said, I gave my back to those who struck me and my cheeks to those who plucked out my beard. So when they plucked out, I don't know about you, just to pull a hair, an ingrown hair out of my beard hurts. Hurts my skin. Can you imagine someone grabbing your hair and just snatching the hair out of your face? And Jesus said, here, take the other side. So he said, I did not hide my face from shame and from spitting. You know why he didn't hide his face from shame? Because he was exchanging our shame for his shame. He was taking our shame and putting it on himself so that we would never have to experience shame, depression, oppression, or anything else another day in our lives. I don't know about you, but don't just sit there like a bump on a log today. Somebody ought to lift their hands and thank God that he took your shame in his name. And folks, I want to show a brief clip here. And I'm telling you, what you're getting ready to see does his beating no justice. Draw your attention to the screen.
Somebody ought to lift their hands and thank God that somebody was willing to go through all of that on your behalf. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I don't know about you, but I'm just thankful because that should have been me on that cross. It should have been you on that cross. However, those verses only tell the physical side of what Jesus endured for us. His pain was far more than physical. How many of y'all know it was also spiritual? On that cross, he literally became sin on our behalf. That's why it had to be so horrific. It had to really demonstrate and it had to judge the immense hatred that God had for sin, God had to take the collective sin of the entire world and put it on his son so that we can live free from sin for the rest of our lives. Folks, you don't have to struggle with sin another day in your life. If, if you're struggling, it's because you want to. I'm telling you today, he nailed sin on that cross, and sin has no more power. It has no more dominion in your life. You have authority over sin, sickness, disease, hell, and the grave. If you'll just stand up and take your rightful position in that. Go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. And let's look at the spiritual side of what he endured. 2 Corinthians 5, 21 says, For God, the Passion Translation, For God made the only one who did not know sin to become sin for us, so that we who did not know righteousness might become the righteousness of God through our union with him. Folks, do you all understand? We have all committed sins. We've all done things that are horrific. We've all treated the Father poorly. And the only way that we can have access to the Father was through the shed blood of Jesus. I'm so thankful today that he doesn't see me and all of my mess. Come on, somebody. But what he sees is that blood on the mercy seat that paid for me to be able to come into that throne room boldly and obtain mercy and grace and favor in my time of need. I don't have to go in there timid. I don't have to go in there shy. I can bust up in there and say, Daddy, I need help. And he doesn't see anything that I've done wrong. He's only sees what the Son has done on my behalf. And I stand there as though sin has never existed in my life. I stand there as holy and pure as I will ever be, not because of anything that I've ever done, but because of what Jesus did in my place. And today, folks, I came to tell you, I am thankful that he made me the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Being righteous with God gives me access to getting my prayers answered, gives me access to praying for other people, gives me access to walking in the authority and walking in dominion over everything in this life that did not come from him. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, and I love what David said. David said, I've been old and I've been young, and I have never seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed out begging bread. Come on, the Lord is on your side, and God is good. He didn't do all of that for you to lose. He did all of that so that you can win. I'm thankful today that he made me righteous. 
I mean, on my best day, I still could not be considered righteous. On my best day, when I think I've done everything right, I prayed that day, read my word that day. I mean, on my righteousness is as a filthy rags in the sight of a holy God. And that's why we don't ever want to get caught up in what I did and how I served and what I gave. Come on, somebody. It's never about what you did. It's always about what he did for you. And somebody ought to thank God that he made you something that you could never make yourself. I'm thankful today. I'm appreciative today. All that he's done for me. That's the spiritual side. Jesus was judged as if he was sin itself. He took our collective sin together and all the sins of the world, and he beat Jesus to death on behalf of you and on behalf of me. His judgment as sin was so complete that it was that he was literally alienated from his father as he was judged. This is the only time in Jesus' life when he was separated from the father because he had to go into hell and take the keys of death, hell, and the grave. He had to take those keys from Satan because Adam had given those keys to Satan. He had to take them back so that he can give those keys to me and to you, folks. I want you to know that he made an open show of Satan. We are not up here raise, uh, We're not up here praising a suffering Savior or, or a suffering Jesus. Folks, on this upcoming Sunday, we're going to celebrate the fact that he is risen from the grave, and he rose with all power in his hand. He said, all power in heaven and earth has been given unto me. Now you go. Why would he say you go if he didn't take the keys and give them to you? Let's look at a verse that supports that. Go with me to Matthew chapter 27. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for healing my voice. Matthew 27, 46, the Passion Translation says this, and at three o'clock, Jesus shouted with a mighty voice in Aramaic, He says, Eli, Eli, lama shabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you deserted me? Why have you forsaken me? The father had to turn his back on the son so that you and I could have this opportunity to receive Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior. I'm so glad he turned his back on the son because that gave me an opportunity to get in. I could have no other way gotten in if the son had not been willing to be separated from the father so that he could pay the price for me to get in. Folks, we don't die, we multiply. We transition from one life to the next because we believe in Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior. And even as Jesus endured all that he did at the hands of men and of God, folks, he was doing it for you and he was doing it for me. That thief on that cross had simple childlike faith. All he said was, Jesus Today, would you remember me when you enter into your kingdom? Just simple, childlike faith. Folks, if we would just come to God like a child and say, I need you. I want you in my life. How many of you know he will in no wise cast us out? 
He loved us so much that he gave his only begotten son, and he put him through all of that. Folks, I want you to know love is an action word. He didn't just tell us he loved us. He demonstrated that love. Go with me to Romans chapter 5, and let's look at verse 8. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. Romans 5, verse 8, the New King James Version. I feel like working today. I feel like we're making Satan upset today. Come on, I feel like the, the kingdom of darkness is upset because he has been defeated and Jesus has been exalted. I just need five people in here to just give God your best praise in here. Come on, give him your best praise. Romans chapter 5 verse 8 says, but God demonstrated his own love for us and that while we were still sinners. I don't know about you, I barely want to do stuff for people acting right. Am I the only one in here willing to be honest? Let alone someone that I know is rejecting me. You can sit there and look like that if you want to, but all of us at one point of our lives, one point or another in our lives, turned our back on the Father. And guess what? While we were out there doing our thing, He was still loving us. He was still thinking about us. He was saying, yeah, they might be wrong now, but I still want to give them an opportunity to make it right. Come on, how many of you that's a good kind of love right there that can see you in your wrong and still provide an opportunity for you to make it right. It says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And of course, there's an age-old question out there, a question that's been going on for thousands of years. Who killed Jesus? Was it Pontius Pilate? Was it the soldiers who beat him? Was it the Jews? Of course, the Jews have been getting blamed for that for years. But I have the answer to the question for that for you. How many of y'all know no one could kill Jesus? No one could. He could call a legion of angels from heaven if he chose to. No one could kill him. And yet there's been a debate for thousands of years. Who killed Jesus? Well, I've got news for you today. You killed Jesus. I killed Jesus. We killed Jesus. Come on, look at your neighbor and point them. Point right in their eye and say, you killed Jesus. Come on, tell them that. Look at the neighbor on the other side and tell them, you're a murderer. Not a lot of people bold enough to tell the truth about that. But the reality is, we killed him. Go with me to Isaiah chapter 54. You should never say that and not support that in the Scripture. Isaiah chapter 53, I'm sorry, verses 4 through 6, I'll read out of the Passion Translation. Who killed Jesus? I'm telling you, I did. You did. We did. Let's read. Isaiah 53, 4 through 6, Passion Translation says, Yet he was the one who carried our sicknesses and endured the tor torment of our sufferings. Folks, we should have been the ones on that cross. This man did no sin. We viewed him as one who was being punished for something he himself had done. 
as one who was struck down by God and brought low. Watch this. But it was because of our rebellious deeds that he was pierced. It was because of our sins that he was crushed. He endured the punishment that made us completely whole. And in his wounding, we found our healing. He was taking the beating that we deserved. He was exchanging our sickness for his healing. He was exchanging hell for heaven. He was exchanging shame so that we could live in peace. For all of our hopelessness, he was nailing it on the cross so that we could have hope. And all he asks us to do, folks, is live our lives with the same intensity that he went to that cross with. Doesn't ask for a lot. Like wayward sheep, we have all wandered astray. Each of us has turned from God's path and have chosen our own way. Even so, Yahweh, God, laid the guilt of our very own sin upon him. Folks, I'm so grateful today that he gave his back for me. He gave his cheek for me. He took that crown on his head for me. He allowed them to pierce him in his side. He was willing before the whole world to publicly display how much he loved you by going through all of that on your behalf so that you would never have to experience it a day in your life. If faith will allow you to receive this, you don't have to be sick a day in your life. If faith will allow you to receive this, you don't have to be broke a day in your life. If faith will allow you to receive this, You never have to live in fear of dying because you will never die. You will only transition from this life to the next. That's why Jesus could guarantee that man today you would be with me in paradise. Let's look at his grace, letter B. Let's look at his grace. Even as Jesus hung there in agony that day, his heart was on finding his own lost sheep. Can you imagine he's bleeding out? but he still has you and me on his mind. Folks, and that is a picture sometimes of what life will deliver uh, to us. How many know at times when we're going through our toughest moments, he still wants us to think about somebody else who may be in worse shape than we are. Come on, somebody. That even though we're bleeding out and need help ourselves, he still wants us to think about someone else that may be less fortunate than us and reach down and pick them up. And every time you reach down and pick someone else up, how many know he's going to send someone into your life to reach down and pick you up? While he's bleeding out, he doesn't even resemble a man. He's still thinking about other people. He's still praying for other people. He's still getting people saved. Never let your situation in life stop you from working for Christ. I don't care how bad you think it looks. Somebody is far worse off than you have, and you still have a testimony to share with somebody, even in your situation, that can cause them to come to Christ. Think about it. Jesus is in the same situation that that man is in, but yet that man can see beyond that and still ask for help. Jesus could see beyond that and still give him help. 
Can I test? Can I just share something with you? For four years, I was bleeding out, pastor, in this church. There are times I would be at home. I don't want to go. I need help. I need somebody to pray for me. And it's like the Holy Spirit would say, even though you're bleeding out, would you go help somebody for me today? Because I bled out for you. And folks, it was the thought of what he did for me that would get me up every day and say, don't make this about you today. Make this about somebody else. But yet, I'm hanging on that cross, beaten and bruised, bleeding out, and he's still asking me to help other people. Here's the testimony. It was through helping other people that he lifted me out of that situation. So instead of throwing a pity party for yourself, why don't you think about who you can help, who may be in worse shape than you're in. Still thinking about his own lost sheep. Luke chapter 19, verse 10 says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. That's why he came. Mark chapter 10, verse 25, the Passion Translation says, For even the Son of Man did not come expecting to be served by everyone, but to serve everyone and to give his life as a ransom price in exchange for the salvation of many. Folks, the grace of God was so evident on that day as Jesus died on that cross. It was so evident in the fact that his words were seasoned with grace. It was so evident that even though he was in the same shape as the dying, the one that was dying uh, in his sins, really both of them, he's in the same shape as both of them, but the one who got saved from his sins, the grace and the mercy that came out of his mouth is unparalleled. The guy just simply asked Jesus a question. He says, when you enter into your kingdom, will you remember me? You got to remember a few verses before that, he acknowledged that he was guilty and that he was hanging there for the sins that he had done wrong. He declared that Jesus was righteous. Jesus has done nothing wrong. So he went through the three phases that a person needs to go through to get saved. That's acknowledge that I'm a sinner. Acknowledge my guilt. Acknowledge what I've done wrong. Acknowledge Jesus as being righteous and that the only one that can save you. And then ask him to save you. And Jesus, in that moment, full of grace and mercy and truth, says, this day you'll be with me in paradise. But I want to give you some revelation from that verse. So many times when we watch the Hollywood depiction of that, The two thieves are taken down off the cross, and then Jesus is left there as the last one who died. Folks, I submit to you today, really, who do you think died first, the two thieves or Jesus? Let's just think about the text for a minute, right? The guy asked him, today, when you enter into your kingdom, remember me. Jesus says, today, you will be with me in paradise. How many of y'all know he had to die first in order to go and secure the guarantee that he just promised him? I can almost visualize that this way. When Jesus gets up there, I can see Paul and David and Jacob and Isaac. I can see all of them. 
Jesus, you did it, man. You made a way for millions of others to come and spend eternity. I can see all of them shouting and praising and welcoming Jesus in, but I can picture Jesus this way. Wait a minute, fellas. Wait a minute. I promised my man down there on the cross that he would be with me today. And I can see him literally going right back to the gates and telling them guys, wait a minute, I've got to wait here for my man to come in because I promised him that today he would be with me in paradise. I want you to think about what a loving Savior that you have, that he put off his own celebration so that he could wait for somebody else that he had promised that would get in with him on that day. Now again, I should not quote and I should not share stories like that that cannot be substantiated in Scripture. Go with me to John. Go with me to, uh, well, which, where do I want to go? Go with me to I got ahead of myself. Let me show it to you. Go with me to John chapter 19. Watch this now. John chapter 19, verse 32 and 33. I'll fix it. John 19, 32 and 33. So the soldiers broke the legs of the two men who were nailed there. Watch this very carefully. But when they came to Jesus, they realized that he had already died. You know why they broke the legs of the other two? Because they were still alive. And what people would traditionally do was they would think they were dead, and then they would climb, get themselves off of the cross, and then people would come and take them away. Now, what you need to also understand was when they got to Jesus, they didn't touch him, not because they didn't want to. They couldn't. Because it had been prophesied that not one bone of his body would be broken. And so I need you to understand, folks, that when he guarantees you something, when he promises you something, he'll deliver on it. Come on, I need somebody to thank God for that. I, I said when he promises you something, he will personally deliver on that. And all he's asking you all to do today is just come. So all he's asking you today is just come. And you remember what Matthew chapter 28 verses, or Matthew chapter 11 verses 28 through 30 says? It says, come unto me all ye that are heavy laden, and I will give you what? Rest. Right? For my yoke is easy and my burden is what? See, if you have anguish and you're burdened down, you're just sick and tired of being sick and tired, that's because you need to come to him. You've been trying to do things your way and on your terms for a long time. And it's just made you tired. It's just made you weary. Come on, somebody. And you are tired of being tired. That's why you came here today, because you are tired of being tired. And all he's asking you to do is come to me. If you're heavy laden, if you're burdened down, come to me, and I'll give you rest. I can hear someone saying, but yeah, I came to him, and it seems like things got harder. seems like things got rougher. Let me remind you of what the Word of God says. The Word of God says that a way, the way of a transgressor is hard. When you go against Christ, things get hard. He said, come to me, for my yoke is easy, and my burden is what? Light. One translation says easy. Yoke is just referring to his teachings. All you've got to do is learn of him. And learn of his ways. 
and do things his way. Matthew 6.33 says, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Just find out the way that he does things. Do it that way, and I mean, your life will be easy because everything that you're out there chasing, he will supernaturally add it to your life. And so in letter C, that's his guarantee to us is that he will meet us right, right, right at our point of need. And folks, I want to submit to somebody in this room, if you'll come to him today, he will in no wise cast you out. All he asks you to do is come. And folks, I want you to know God can keep you. If God can keep you, you can't be kept. Before I read my next verse, I want to remind us of that symbolic imagery of Jesus in the middle, one man on the left, one man on the right. Both men are being presented with the truth of who Jesus is. One, while hearing that truth, his heart is being hardened. The other one, hearing the same truth, his heart is being softened. But they both in that moment, have an opportunity to make a decision. One made the wrong decision, one made the right decision. I want to challenge someone in this room today because we all think that we have time. But the reality is I was wrong for a long time. And the truth of the matter is I could have died in my sins. And God forbid that I died in my sins I don't have this opportunity to stand up here today and share the truth with you. But his grace and mercy was so rich while I was out there sinning, he was holding back judgment on my behalf, giving me time to get in. I don't know about you all, but I'm glad I didn't die in my sins, and he held back judgment long enough for me to get in. They both had choice on that day. One made a good choice, the other made a bad choice. I'm telling you, if you'll make the right choice and come to him today, you will not regret it. John chapter 10, verse 28, King James Version says, And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. They shall never die. He died on your behalf. Folks, you don't die, you transition. Stop feeling sorry for your, uh, your saved loved ones that have gone home to be with the Lord. They're actually feeling sorry for us because we're the ones that still have to live down here and deal with crime and all the other stuff. But they are in a place where the streets are paved with pure gold like white glass. Come on, Jesus is the light of that city, that it needs no sun. There's no more pain, no more sickness, no more disease. Come on, folks. We're, they're doing a, a lot better than we are. And he's saying, all you've got to do is come to me, and paradise is waiting for you on the other side. Think about that man that got saved from his sins. He lived his whole life wrong, but in one moment, he got to experience eternal paradise. Think about that for a moment. Is this your one moment today? Is this your moment today? John chapter 10 there, verse 38, I just read. Or John chapter 10, verse 28 there. I want to read the rest of that. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. I want you to understand that God can keep you. Nobody can pluck you out of his hands. If he draws and you draw a bloodline around your life, 
Satan cannot cross that line. Hang on, the blood is more powerful than anything hell would try to throw your way. And that blood acts as a protection for us all the days of our lives. I can't tell you how many times I probably should have been dead. Anybody in here was just willing to be honest? can't tell you how many times I've driven past an accident and had I left just a little bit earlier, I could have been in that accident. I'm just thinking about just last football season driving home from the Notre Dame-Michigan football game. I'm driving back to my hotel. And somebody sends a pickup truck out of, out of a, the, the uh, corn stocks right in front of my car. I still to this day, folks, all I know is I ended up in the corn stocks, back out on the road, car facing straight on the side of the road. It's so dark out there. You know how you get out. I'm going to get out, check on the vehicle. But all I hear is like people running through corn stalks. I just hear feet running. I jump back in the car and just drive. I mean, that ain't time to try to be Superman and tough boy. That's time to get in the car, hit the gas, and get on out of there. But I remember getting to the gas station once I got to a lighted area, thinking the car had been completely totaled. Remember, and all I could see was corn stalks in the wheel hubs up underneath the, the front of the vehicle. Corn, it's everywhere. And the next morning, I get up and I go wash the vehicle because I got to turn it in. And the car looks like it looked just when I took it the first day. I can't explain things like that to you. All I know is if you want to be kept, God can keep you. Every time I get on a plane, I say, the blood of Jesus protects this aircraft and my life. Ministering angels go forth, cause me to arrive safely at my place of destination. I cover this aircraft with the name, the blood, and the word, and I declare that not one weapon formed against it will prosper. Father, you promised me with long life you'll satisfy me and show me your deliverance. Father, I receive your deliverance by landing safely at my place of destination in Jesus' name. I never take nothing for granted. All he's asking you to do today is come. That's his guarantee. Come, and he will in no wise cast you out. Let's all stand to our feet. And I just want you to lift your hands before the Father and just begin to worship him for his Savior, Jesus. Go ahead, right where you're standing, just begin to worship the Father. And while you're worshiping him, begin to think about the awesome price that was paid on your behalf. Begin to think about the great exchange. He's literally today trying to change addresses. He's trying to change your address from no hope to giving you hope. He's trying to change someone's address from hell to heaven. He's trying to change someone's address from sickness to being completely healed. But all you've got to do today is come. While you're worshiping the Father, I want you to look up here at me for a moment. When you look at Calvary, what do you see? I personally see a Savior who loved me so much that he willingly took my place on that cross so that I could be saved from my sins and miss the fires of hell. I see that hill as a place where my past was erased and my future has been forever secured. 
I see that place where he took my shame and he gave me optimism. He gave me hope. I see that hill as a place where I could walk in divine health and healing all the days of my life. I see that as the beginning of my forever. What are you seeing today as you look at that hill? And so now while every head is bowed and every eye is closed in prayer, no one moving, no one talking unless you've been assigned to do so. Do you see yourself today dying in your sins? Or are you convinced that Jesus can save you from your sins? I want you to know that he loves you with an everlasting love. And all he's asking you to do today is to come. And I want to give you that opportunity to do so. If you come to him, he promises you and guarantees you eternal life. And he promises you that no one will pluck you out of his hands. So if you're here today and you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, I want to pray with and for you today. Secondarily, you might say, Pastor, I'm already saved, but I got away from God. I made some poor choices. Today I've heard enough. I want to come back. I want to rededicate my life to Christ. I don't want to play around with this anymore. I want to be right with God. If that's you, I want to pray with and for you. Lastly, if you don't have a church home but you believe God has led you here to Linked Up Church, my wife and the staff will pray for you every single day of our lives. And every time you come in this building, our goal is to make sure that you hear the Word of God and the Word of God only. So I believe people are searching their hearts. Which one will you be today? Will you harden your heart or will you soften your heart today? Will you receive paradise and eternity today or will you reject it? The choice is yours. I've set before you life and death, blessings and curses. I'm encouraging you today to choose life. So if you're here today and you want to give your life to Christ, I want to pray for you. If you're here